when you look throughout church history, you don't have to, you can go all the way back to the very beginning in the book of Acts. And Acts chapter 1 and 2, glorious move of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church. But about two chapters later, the church is already in disunity and arguing over things. And the church has always had this times of some really, you know, goofiness, goofy arguments, church splits. Maybe you have been part of a church split in your life where somebody got in an argument over something or is it, you know, a doctrine or you didn't emphasize this or that and boom, the church split. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but I know there's probably plenty that have experienced that. Think of all the denominations that we have. Now, denominations in themselves, they're fine, but usually if you read church history, you'll see that a denomination was birthed out of taking a secondary issue and saying, you know what, we have to make this a primary issue. We have to make it an essential. And so all of this, sometimes we wonder, like, the world looks at the church and says, can they get along? And I was reading about one of, fun. this was funny, actually, in the 16th century, some priest came to Pope Clement VIII, and they had this big issue that they wanted him to speak on and to declare, you know, authority over. And it was over the issue of coffee. They didn't believe that Christians should drink coffee because it was a Muslim drink. And so, would you decree, Pope, that Christians should never drink coffee? Call it Satan's drink, if you will. And the, the Pope, being a fair man, he said, well, why don't you bring some to me? And I'll decide for myself. And he, they brought him some hot coffee. He drank it. He went, this is quite delicious. Why should Satan have all the good beverages? <laughs> and he said, here's what we'll do. We'll baptize the coffee and we'll declare it a Christian drink. And that's why you get to have coffee this morning that you're enjoying. Priests didn't get their way. But if you look at the political system in our, our country, I don't care which side of the fence you're on, it's, it's ugly. I am so thankful that my mailbox will no longer be filled with postcards and all of that stuff. Yeah, amen, hallelujah. Preach, preach. Unity in the body of Christ is of the utmost importance to Jesus. It's of the utmost importance to Jesus. As a matter of fact, in his prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying on the night before he was going to be crucified, and he's praying for his disciples, but by praying for his disciples, he's also praying for you and me who would hear the message later. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone. He's praying to the Father. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Did you catch that? When we're in disunity, he's saying the world's not going to believe that the Father really sent the Son. But when we're in unity in the, in the body of Christ, the local church and, and the church universal, the world stands up and takes notice. That came right from, from Jesus' lips. At our church here at Novation, we have strived to major on the majors for seven years. We're coming up on our seventh birthday in January. We're out of huggies now. We're, we're, we've been potty trained. We're seven, we, we hope. Um, but we have tried to emphasize the essentials. 
the five or six things that all Christians, the church, has believed for over 2,000 years. And you know what? We don't all look, talk, and act and, and emphasize the same thing. Some of us have some secondary issues that are very important to us, but we don't di- divide over it. And that's kudos to this, to this church body. We debate, we dialogue, but we're not going to divide over secondary issues. I believe that is most pleasing to the Lord. Paul says this in Ephesians, which is kind of like, here's your, what, you sh- what every Christian needs to, be, to believe and be united together on. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And since Paul was from southern Jerusalem, he would say, in all y'all as well, so... Joke still works, Uh, never fails on that one too. Um, We're in a series that we just started last week called I Am Convinced. And we started last week, the the series was birthed out of kind of a personal Bible study that I was doing just in my Bible reading. And I saw several times where Paul said he was convinced, or maybe your translations say he was persuaded of something. Last week we looked at that, that Paul said in Romans 8 that he was convinced that nothing could separate us from the love of God that's in Christ. We had a great service last week. The Spirit was moving, communion, and, and it just was awesome. And it was, it was a heart message. Today is not quite as a heart message as it is, let's practice the love of God with one another. What do we do to practice if we've received the love of God? What does that look like in our relationships one to another? Paul says in Romans 14, 14, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. And you're going, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, this is important. The context of that verse where Paul said he's convinced that nothing in itself is unclean is this. When, when Paul and the, and the early disciples would go and take the gospel out to the world, they would go to p- places where they worshipped, you know, statues and false gods and idols and all the history of having no Bible. And so they, you know, go to a place like Corinth and there was temple worship and the goddess Aphrodite and there was crazy things that would happen there. And Paul would go into these places and he would find common ground and he'd begin to He'd go to a synagogue because the, the Jews had been dispersed. We, we read that in the Old Testament. He would go and he would talk to them. Then he would come one, come all to the gospel and proclaim the death and resurrection of Christ. And when you, he would go to these places in, in Rome where the book of Romans is who he's writing to. There would be idols that people would go and sa- they would sacrifice things to their, quote, God. And they would bring meat to that idol. As a, as a sacrifice. Now, that meat obviously didn't get eaten by a piece of wood or a rock or whatever idol it was. So they would take that meat, they would go cook it up and, and eat it after it had been offered. It was part of their ritual. Well, what you had was you had a, a 
Within the church, you have Gentiles, non-Jewish people, and, and now Jewish believers. The Jewish believers were very, that, that offended them deeply in their conscience to eat a meat sacrificed to idols. The, the, the Roman Christians, they have a barbecue and eat it up. They didn't think anything of it. But the Jews who had the Levitical law and the ceremonies and all of that, idolatry is a huge problem in the Old Testament, right? Over and over and over, God would tell the Jews not to worship the false gods or the foreign gods. So to their conscience, that was, you know, it was horrible. And so this whole context is Paul trying to say, listen, that meat in itself is good. You can eat it. But if your brother or sister doesn't have the conscience to do that, then you need to look out for them. We need to strive for unity is what he's ultimately saying. I meet people all the time who have either bailed on the church or bailed on what they think is Christianity because of their bad experience of somebody, somebody's legalism or somebody's forcing something on them to believe or, or whatever, and that, that, that caused them to just say, you know what, I give up, I quit. Well, Romans 14 is such a great chapter about unity and how to strive in, in Christian liberty that you can divide Romans 14 basically in two halves. The first half of Romans 14 is Paul is saying, listen, you and I are free. We're free in Christ. We have liberty in Christ to live free. Not sin, but to live free and be led by wise choices. The second part of Romans 14 is about love and how the law of love supersedes our liberty and when to, when to let love supersede our freedoms. So what he says in Romans 14.1 is this, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Disputable matters, you can write this down. A disputable matter is an issue that the Bible doesn't give a clear principle on or is silent on. And I don't know what other translations might call it something else, but for today we're going to call it a disputable matter. In other words, where the Bible is black and white, we need to be black and white. And there are things in the scripture that are black and white. That doesn't mean society is always going to agree or culture is going to agree, but you and I as followers of Jesus, where it's black and white, we need to be black and white. That's what Brian was meaning when he said, if you're a guest with us today, we want to be biblical. We're not going to try to take away from the Bible. We're not going to try to add to it. We're going to try to interpret it correctly. And, and when it's black and white, be black and white. When it's gray, we leave some room for some freedom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, I don't, didn't give you the verse, but the, I didn't give you it on your outline. But if you take it notes, 1 Corinthians 4, 6, the Apostle Paul says, Know the meaning of this statement. Don't go beyond what is written. Don't go beyond what is written. And it's easy for us to go beyond what's written in the Word of God. We believe that this book is authoritative and is literally the words of God. But how to interpret it and apply it to our life, that takes some skill. It takes time. It takes teachers. It takes the Holy Spirit. I, I saw going beyond Scripture for, in my own eyes when I went to Israel uh, years ago. And in, I had a family that I stayed with in Israel. And they were not Orthodox, you know, kosher Jewish in how they lived their lives. They were more Jewish by their, you know, patriotism and so forth. But either way... They're, they told me about their 
sister who married an Orthodox rabbi, and they lived a kosher life. And so in their house, to be kosher, you have to have a kitchen that is for meat and a kitchen that is for dairy. So each house, your house has to have two kitchens because in Israel, you'll never get a pepperoni pizza or a turkey and Swiss or a cheeseburger because milk and meat do not go together. Now, I don't fully know the dietary reasons or any of that, and I'm sure there's plenty of stuff you could Google on that and follow that rabbit trail. But in the Old Testament, I believe it's the book of Leviticus, it says, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk, with its mother's milk. Don't cook it with its own milk. Well, that, over the years, morphed into don't ever have meat and dairy together. Is that what that verse really is saying? Did they go beyond what is written? kind of seems like it to me, but I wouldn't argue with somebody. I'm sure there's a reason there, but it's easy for us to go to an extreme and go beyond what is written. I think there's two extremes that we have to always keep in mind when you're looking at unity in beliefs and practice. One is legalism. That's an extreme. Legalism is when we command something of a believer that the scriptures do not command. It, it also is when we condemn something, a practice of a believer that the scripture doesn't condemn. Now, I'll give you an illustration of this. Several years ago when we were meeting at the school, Woodrow Wilson, several people went out and and went door to door to call people to our Easter service. And we had a lot of guests from the neighborhood show up. Remember when we did that? Well, in particular, there was this lady who came to our Easter service. And she was talking to one of our church members after the service, and she didn't talk about the great preaching. (laughs) She didn't talk about the worship. She was appalled that people were in jeans in church on a Sunday morning and that the pastor was wearing jeans. Now, you can't find a chapter and verse on what thou shalt wear to church, right? Jeans one, one, you know, first jeans... First Levi's, I don't, I, don't, I don't see that in the scriptures. But for her, that was culturally very important. And you may have been raised in an environment, and think, maybe you came from the Bible Belt, and you think, in Colorado, these people are wearing Bronco jerseys to church. How dare they? And all that kind of stuff. But again, those are, that's cultural holiness. And it might be really important to somebody. And it may even have some validity. But it's, it's, that's, it becomes legalistic when you say you're a better Christian if you don't do this or that, and the Bible's silent on it. Here's the other extreme to that. That's liberalism. Legalism and liberalism. Liberalism is when believers live carelessly, live carelessly making choices in the name of Christian liberty or the, the name of Christian freedom that directly violate the commands of Scripture. That's just as wrong as legalism. If the Bible says to do something or not to do it, it's there for a reason. God knows better than we do of what's what's best for our life. So when the scriptures say do this or don't do that, then and it's black and white, then we don't say, oh, you know what, I'm under grace. Uh, Romans 6, 1, Paul says, shall I go on sinning that grace may abound? He says, no, certainly not. And so neither do we. We're not going to just wink at that. What is liberty then? Liberty is the balance here that Paul's saying. It's the freedom given by God to make wise choices concerning matters that the Scriptures 
do not specifically address without fear or pressure from fellow believers. True liberty, true freedom as a believer is the freedom given by God on a gray area to make your wise, a wise choice there. And one of the things that causes disunity in the body is when we think everybody should think exactly like we do on a gray area. It's important that we understand. So how do we pursue unity in spite of our differences? You might be able to say, how do we pursue unity in spite of our preferences? When people are looking for a church, there's a lot of preferences. People have come and gone from novation over preference things. I get it. Like what you, We're looking for things when we come to a local church. If you live out in the rural area, you've got two or three choices, and you're going to have to have preferences get shaved down a little bit. But we live in a metro area, so there's lots of churches that people can, can pick from or things that are important to us, or even our experiences. It's easy to push our experience and think everybody should have the same experience that we do. It doesn't work like that. So I'm divided this up in two, two little uh, sub uh, points and then sub points to follow throughout verse chapter 14 of Romans. First thing I would say this is keep the right attitude towards each other. Keep the right attitude towards each other. How do we do that? Well, don't forget that we're family. That's the next thing I want you to write on. Don't forget that we're family. He says that if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Now, again, the eating meat sacrifice to idols is not our issue. There's a principle in this that that we need to apply to us in the year 2018 about walking in love and liberty and unity together. But don't forget we're family. What's, it's more important than being right all the time is to remember we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family together. Uh, families have differences, right? We all come from dysfunctional families. My family put the fun in dysfunctional, though, growing up. Like, we were fun dysfunctional. Just kidding. My dad's in the room. Um, there was a family growing up down the street in elementary school that my childhood best friend was part of this Italian family, the Loritas. And Mr. Lorita was a Denver police officer, and Mrs. Lorita was the, the matriarch of that family. And boy, could she cook, and she was, man, when she got mad, you were scared, too. Like, she, you ran. And all the boys, the three boys in that family... The youngest was my friend. We were the same age. We almost have the same birthday, just a day apart. They were enormous dudes. Like, they all went on to play Division I football. And they were, they were such a cool family, though. They did everything together. They went to church together. They would do yard work together. They were bonded. But, man, when mom would get mad at the kids, I would hide because it was scary. Like, Mrs. Loretta, woo, Italian, and get after it, man. When the boys would fight when we'd be playing in the basement or doing something, like they would beat the fire out of each other. I would hide again. I would hide somewhere to make sure I was not getting in the middle. They were, they were all bigger, way bigger than me. But one thing I remember about the Loritas, they had each other's back. They valued family over their differences. You know what? That's us. Let's value each other over our differences or the things that, that we can 
we, that, you know, let's, let's bond over what we're supposed to bond over and stay family. You're not commanded to like everybody. Did you know that? You're not going to like everybody in your church family. That's just a fact. But you are commanded to love. Love is not a feeling. Like is a feeling. Second thing is don't judge, label, or name call. But another whose, whose faith is weak, Paul is talking about here. He says, accept one, accept one another, somebody's faith might be weak. Name calling, when, when you say somebody's an idiot, you just made a judgment over them. You idiot. How many said that driving here today? Oh, you didn't need to raise your hand, Darcy. It's so easy, idiot. You know, you're making a judgment over somebody. And I'm guilty of this. I promise you, I'm guilty too. When people don't think the way I do, if I'm passionate about something or I feel like I'm right, it is so easy for me to just, like, come on. And I've been repenting a lot to the Lord. He's actually changing me in this area. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be someone who's quick to judge, label, or name call. And when he, he says that we're weak, that some, somebody's faith is weak, they can be weak in faith, they can be weak in knowledge, they can be weak in their conscience, and they can be weak in their willpower. We don't have all the facts about somebody's life to make judgments over them. We don't have the facts over uh, their faith might be new. Their knowledge of the Bible might be limited. Their conscience might be different than your conscience. You might be free to do something and somebody else's conscience says no. And it's a gray area. You don't go, come on, idiot. You can, you should be able, we don't just, we don't do that to each other, right? We're not, that's, that's not the heart of God. So Paul says in, in verse 10 and 11, he says, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we, all, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. Thirdly, don't try and change people. In particular, if you have a difference of opinion, and it's, we're talking secondary issues here. We're not talking about that Jesus is God or Jesus is the only way to God or the Bible's the word of God. We're talking about secondary issues. We're talking about expression in practice and we're talking about non-essential beliefs here. It's good to dialogue again. It's good to debate. But please, let's don't ever be the church that divides over somebody's end times position or what you believe about the rapture or don't believe. Are you a Calvinist or an Arminianist? Listen, those things are important. But the body of Christ, the unity of the word of God and the spirit that we have together is important. And, and I get it. The, the secondary issues can be very important. But I want to be, we want to be a church that majors on the majors. Um, God does the changing, right? God does the fixing. We don't fix people. So I want to shift gears to my second point here. We keep the right attitude towards each other and then walk in the right actions with each other. Attitudes determine actions. Attitude is always going to determine how we act and behave. So the first sub-point for that is this. Pursue what promotes peace and builds others up. Pursue what, what, what promotes peace and builds others up. That's the first right action. Look for common ground. And, and you know, when you, when you like a, a local church, you're usually going to feel like, oh, 
I, I, I believe what they believe, and this is good. I can get along here. But you might have a neighbor or a coworker or somebody else that goes to a different style of church, and they may be pushing their, their non-essentials on you. Look for common ground. I, I try to meet with local pastors around the city all the time. And guy, it, I try to meet with pastors who don't think just like me. We're non-denominational here at Novation. I try to meet with, with denominational pastors. I want to learn what, what's important to them. But what, our common ground is always Jesus and the gospel and the word of God together. Not our, all of our interpretation of the word of God, but, the, but we have that together. Or on, I, we always say that we're on the same team. Why would we fight each other? There's a, a church moving in just down uh, a couple blocks away from us in this um, shopping center over here. We met together. I blessed them. We need more churches. It's great. And uh, what can we do to serve you? Because the, we, the world needs more and more and more churches. I think it's important. Secondly, we need to put a high value on every person. Put a high value on every person. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat, or fill in the blank there, someone for whom Christ died. Listen, you and I take care of and we protect that which we value. Your kids to your iPad, to your car, to your phone, you protect it. You value because you value having it. Well, people matter to God. People have a high value in God's eyes. People matter to us. Thirdly, keep the main thing the main thing. And then keep the main things the main things. And then keep the main thing the main thing again. And then keep the main thing again. That never stops. I know that was a little annoying, but I wanted you to get the point. Keep the main things the main things. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I heard, overheard something the other night. That was awesome. There was a family, a new family to Novation Church that had been looking for, for a church and visiting other places. And uh, yes, I'm going to brag on our church here just for a second, but this is the good kind of, of bragging. It's like bragging on your kids, right? That's okay. Uh, I guess that can get annoying too, but this, I, I'm, I'm, this is t- uh, kudos to this church family, to the people, not me or any, any one person. This family had said that they had somewhat of a checklist, a criteria of what they were looking for in a church family. And uh, as they went through their list, we didn't exactly make any of the criteria as a church. (laughs) But people genuinely loved each other, and they felt loved and welcomed in a way that they hadn't experienced somewhere else. And they want to make this place their home because of that reason rather than any other other things. That put a smile on my heart, on my face, and I've been kicking my heels all week long because at the end of the day, Jesus said, you will know who are my disciples if you have love for one another. He didn't say if you have the perfect doctrine or interpretation of this or if you do that or whatever. He said if you have love for one another. I'll take that any day of the week. Keep the main thing the main thing. All right. Um, Walking in the right actions. Sometimes I need to limit my liberty out of love. We need wisdom in this area. Paul says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. 
It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Now, I wrestled through this passage, and I, I, I had this thought that was kind of like one of those ba-boom, illuminating moments for me. We studied the book of Galatians all summer. Most of you were here for that. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes the church at Galatia about an issue that was going on where they were going back to the Old Testament laws. There was a group of people called the Judaizers who came in behind Paul after he had moved on and told the Galatian church that in order to be a real Christian, it was Jesus plus living out the law. You had to become Jewish, in other words. And here's Paul, who was raised Jewish and, and following Jesus now, says to these guys, please don't do that. You're, you're, you're missing the whole point. Jesus fulfilled the law. You're not under the law anymore. Um, and so Paul, he was ready to go tooth and nail over that. And yet, here he is in Romans writing to Gentile believers to watch and guard the conscience of their Jewish brother or sister in Christ. You catch that? Like Galatians is the, is, seems to, it doesn't contradict But it's easy to think it does unless you look at the point. And Paul's whole point here is love. To truly walk in the liberty of Christ is to walk in love. You know what that means? It means we give grace for each other. It means we ask God for wisdom in how we live our lives and how we take care of one another. And that we're we're not flippant in any way. And then I believe this is my one, two, three, four, fifth little bullet point here. Don't force your freedom or opinion on others. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself for what he approves. He's saying, listen, if you want to eat the meat sacrificed to idols, do it. But don't flaunt it or force someone whose conscience that bothers to eat the meat. Let God do the changing. Let God do the work there. That's really a mark of a, mature, of a mature Christian is when we don't force our freedom or our opinions on other people. There, I know somebody who, you know, man, because of their upbringing and, and how they had seen alcohol destroy lives, you know, they know that it's, it's not right for them to force their opinion about alcohol on uh, other people or believers who walk in freedom, but... They've learned to just say, you know what, I can't force that. But, but, I, but for me, I'm going to keep this between me and God. I'm going to keep my opinion on this between me and God. And I thought, wow, that's a mark of a, someone that's maturing in the Lord to be able, whatever side of the fence you land on, if it's not an essential thing, then don't force freedom or opinion either way on, on somebody else. And then lastly, we walk in faith. We walk in faith. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Now, don't misunderstand that to think that if you feel guilty twiddling your thumbs and that you think it's sin, that that actually makes it sin. That's not what that's saying there. I know that was a little bit of an elementary illustration. But it's, it's matters of conscience is what Paul is getting at here. And if somebody's conscience is bothered, for them, it's sin. If, if it's not for you, it might be for them, and we need to walk delicately in love with one another through this. Two things that I think you can ask yourself 
all the time. If you have any question about a, a practice, you know, expressing a freedom or a belief, two questions to ask. First of all, ask yourself the question, can I do this activity, whatever it is, to the glory of God? 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, eat or drink, do, do all to the glory of God. Can I do this to God's glory? That's a great question to ask. You know, fill in the blank of, of, of the possibility there. If you can't do it to the glory of God and in thankfulness to God and enjoyment, and God can't be part of that with you, then we probably shouldn't do it, right? Not probably, we shouldn't do it because we, we're, we're to live for the glory of God. Secondly, though, does what I believe, it, it, ask yourself this question too about beliefs that you're going, hmm, it, should I emphasize this or not? Does what I believe line up with the rest of Scripture? Is this something that is an essential belief or is this a secondary thing that I can hold dear but um, you know, I'm not going to force everybody to believe the way that I do? You can go to some churches' websites and if you, the criteria of fellowship is often a secondary issue. You're never going to get that here. We're going to major on the majors, and we'll d- dialogue about the secondary issues. Um, and it's important that somebody's belief line up with Scripture. I had a lady one time tell me, she said, I believe in reincarnation, and it just is what it is. I'm a Bible-believing, loving Christian, but I believe in reincarnation. And I went to Hebrews chapter 10 where it says it's, and there, there is no reincarnation. Man is born once, destined to die, and stand before the judgment seat. Nothing about reincarnation. She said, well, yeah, I still believe. Well, we got to be careful there, right? I mean, there are times where you, ha- you stand up for truth and try to help somebody. But again, I can't change somebody's mind. I can't hit them in the head with the Bible and hope that they believe it. We have to hold dear and walk with, with each other uh, on these things. So stand to your feet. We're going to pray. And I realize that, again, this message is very practical. Your heartstrings aren't tugged tugged today. But man, God wants us to walk in unity together. He wants us to walk in love. It's of the utmost importance to Jesus that we walk in unity. And we have to be careful in our lives that we're not forcing our belief or freedom or opinion just to be right. We have to really remember why, what's going on in our own hearts. Exercise your liberty that Jesus purchased for you, but do it in love and commit to strive for unity. Heavenly Father, as we go from this place I humble myself before you. We humble ourselves before you and say, you know, Lord, we know we don't have everything figured out. But you do. And Lord Jesus, we want to follow you wholeheartedly. And we want to walk unified in the gospel, unified in your truth, unified with your love. Help us to do that individually and as an expression of your church. In Jesus' name, amen.